All right. Well, if you think this morning is going to be a lot, we're going to do, uh, we're going to have a panel at the end. I'll tell you why. And there's a book on your table I'm going to refer to you and another handout I'm going to refer to you. But if you want to look at the first one that has an outline that says a principled father, we're going to start with that one. A few announcements I want to make real quick. It is still not too late. If you are a young husband, we are still taking um, registration for this weekend. It's just Friday night. We'll be, we'll be home by, we'll be done by like eight o'clock on Saturday night. But this is uh, a time of encouragement and equipping for a young husband, zero to uh, five years married. We've got about 30 guys going. It's going to be a good group and we're going to be out at the Pineco Bluffs. Um, as always, just to remind you, we've got our Dad You podcast where we record things in the studio, but we're also trying to post on the podcast these talks that we do in here as well. So we just want to continue to give you resources. If you have a son in first through fifth grade, next month we're having our second ever father-son retreat out at Pine Cove, and would love to see you there. It's going to be Friday night, and uh, we'll be done by 8 o'clock on Saturday with the official stuff. But if you want to stay Saturday night and camp out, we're going to camp out at Pine Cove there, get up, have breakfast, and then be done by 10. But that is next month. And then we just got this on our calendar, but this is a fun, easy way to serve as a family. It's called Family Serve Day on Saturday, April 13th at Feed My Starving Children. Anyone ever been to Feed My Starving Children in here? Oh, awesome. Okay. I took my uh, son when he was 10, and it is the coolest, easiest thing in the world. We went as a staff, um, and, and it's basically just putting food in, um, like pouring things into these pouches that we're going to give and ship off. And it is amazing, you guys, what you can accomplish in like an hour and a half of how many uh, hundreds of people get fed by the group that's there. So that is a fun, easy way. And again, you can bring your kids to, to serve at Family Serve Day. All right. Well, here's what we've covered in these last three weeks leading up to today. We first covered a praying father. We looked at Paul and how serious and deep his prayers were for everyone that he was leading. Then we looked at a passive father and we saw David and as great as David was, when it came to him as a father, he wasn't great left a lot of um, holes and led to some tragic consequences. Last week, we talked about a purposeful father. We looked at Joshua and his declaration that most people know uh, and and might even have in their homes. Choose today who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And what does it look like as a family to have a purpose statement or a purpose verse or a mission or anything like that? And hopefully that set you up on a good little trajectory. So for our final Dead Youth session, we're going to talk about a principled Father, And we're going to look at John, the Apostle John, and particularly in his last three letters that we have, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. But 1st John, it's really fun to look at how many times he uses the word little children, 13 times in just five short chapters, 105 verses. 13 different times he looked at the people he was leading and called them children. He saw himself as a father. Um, Six times he just called them beloved. But here's what's also cool about John that he uses truth eight times in these five short chapters, and he uses belief seven times. He was all about the truth, light versus dark, and what it means to believe. So we're going to talk about him. I want to basically tell you what we're going to do today. Um, All of us have a box, if you're a professing Christian, uh, that has beliefs in it. And here's what I want to make sure you understand. As a dad, your children, if they're professing or planning on being a Christian, or they are Uh, assuming this about themselves, they are putting things in their box already right now. Like basic assumptions about how you see the world, it's called your worldview, they're already putting stuff in there. As they watch you pray, or as you explain good or bad choices, or as as they see you worship, or they think is church a priority, they are putting things in this box. And what we want to make sure we understand as dads, we help guide what they're putting into their worldview. What, what their basic beliefs are. And there's a lot of people that are professing believers who the content of their box is a little scary. Either they got beliefs in there that aren't biblical, like the law of karma. You guys know the law of karma is? Do good things, good things will happen to you. If you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. That's not biblical, okay? But a lot of Christians believe that. Why is this happening to me? This must be because I did something. That's the law of karma, Or it can't be happening to me. I've been doing good things. That's a wrong belief to have in your box. But also, a God who is serious about sin, a God of wrath, a lot of people choose not to put that in their box. 
So as parents, and this is what we're going to talk about today, as fathers, being a principled man to say, I want to make sure I'm taking full responsibility of helping get the right things in my kid's box. Sound good? That's what we're going to talk about today. So you might think, John, what's the big deal? If you look in your outline right there, I've got a few verses highlighted, and I just want you to look at what John had to say, and I'm just picking a few different passages where he made these big deals. But in 1 John 2, 18, and then a few verses following that, he says, children... It is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come, people who are opposed to Christ. Okay, you don't have to think of like the mark of the beast in times, just people who are opposed to uh, Christ. Even now, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So he's assuming, talking to these believers, when I say the word truth, you know what I'm talking about. A basic assumption about is there something that's true for all people for all times and all places, right? And then he says, who is the liar but he who denies, and here we get some theology, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. So in other words, he's explaining there is a huge Fork in the road right here on what you believe about Jesus. If you deny Jesus, you can't say you've got God the Father. Okay, that's a theological and even an apologetic topic, okay, in the area of apologetics, which we'll cover in a minute. But he's making sure you understand, like, this is not any small big deal. Like, what do you feel? It's truth, okay? Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. He's looking at his children and he's saying, listen, there's false ideas out there. There are people that purposely are trying to lead you astray. And the thing with the word deceive, think about that. That it looks real. It sounds convincing, but it's deceptive. Second section, 1 John 4, look what he says. Beloved, again, he's calling them children, beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So here's the deal. How do you test something? You gotta have a standard, right? You gotta know what, what, what's right, what's wrong, how am I gonna test these things? And so and now we're back to like basic theology. Do I have some essential beliefs that I can use as my plumb line for this? By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's what Christmas is all about, that's called the incarnation, okay, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God. Now he's, he's talking about their identity. You are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. And now he's going to talk about your worldview, how you see the world. Look what he says. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Some translations say they speak from the viewpoint of the world. Okay. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Already, let me just kind of make sure you understand this. Some of you might be thinking, hey, listen, I'm no theologian. I'm not sure about all this stuff, Kate. You are a theologian, okay? Everybody has beliefs about God. You might be a bad theologian, but you are a theologian. You have basic beliefs in your box right now. And so when John is talking about this, I was... I was sharing this earlier of how I fell for this as a youth pastor. Think about this with me, okay? You got a young guy in your youth group. He's excited about theology and passionate about studying the Bible. Maybe he wants to get into apologetics, like why do we believe what we believe? You know what we do? We look at that young man so many times and we say, looks like God's calling you into the ministry. Looks like probably you're going to be a pastor. Do you see what we just did there? I'm guilty of this. We just told him, you're other, you're different. You're kind of like an anomaly versus, that's awesome. This is what we should all be doing. Hey, people, this is exciting that he's all about theology and apologetics and studying his Bible. That's what we should all be doing. But for some reason, we think like, oh, that's only a select few people or the real ones that want to geek out about Greek and stuff. Like, no, no, no. We need to all recognize that we're students of God's word. On your outline, it says their ideas have consequences, and this is basically it. Just in general, we, we, we're left with either God speaks or we guess. Okay, either God has shared things with us that we should follow, that's called revelation, or we're trying to figure it out on our own, that's called speculation. <laughs> that's all we're left with. But I've got to decide if God has spoken, 
in this word, nothing else is more important. This is my plumb line as a dad, but just as a believer. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If it's false, throw it out. Don't follow it. Don't worry about it. But then he says this, if true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So this is the way it works in your lives, guys. This is making Jesus Lord of your own life and then now deciding, like, as a husband, i got to lead my wife. And then as a father, this is a big deal. This is ultimately important, okay? Of infinite importance, Lewis says. The only thing it can't be is just like, eh, sure, we'll, we'll just kind of throw in, sprinkle in some Jesus, enough to be acceptable, but not enough to be, you know, fanatical. In your, in your notes there, I've got thinking about your thinking. I want you to look at these two verses they give us some warnings. In Colossians 2.8, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there's a warning. Someone's trying to take you captive. Okay? And it talks about philosophy and empty deceits, worldly philosophy. Don't let the word philosophy intimidate you. It just comes from two Greek words that mean love of wisdom. Okay? Phileo and Sophia. Philosophy, should we all be lovers of wisdom? Yeah, we should all be philosophers. We're loving God's wisdom. But look at this contrast in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Whatever it goes against what the knowledge of God that we have, we look at those things and we don't just go, huh. It says we, we tear them down, we destroy them, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every idea. So do you notice the two things there? Look what it says. Make sure no one takes you captive by wrong ideas. Instead, you're the one taking wrong ideas captive. How do I do that? Well, I got to know this is my plumb line. And then I'm actively asking myself, anytime we're watching a movie or I'm hearing a song or someone makes a statement or see something online, is that true? Is that in line with God's word? Okay? So here's what you can write down if you want to think about this. Either in your life, you will either take ideas captive or be taken captive by ideas. And this is true for your kids, you guys. As you're raising them to be discerning believers, they will either be taken captive by ideas or they will take ideas captive. Okay? So you want to raise them to be discerning. Like, does that, is that in line with God's word? Is that true? So that's how we're thinking about our thinking. And as fathers, like John, we want to be principled in this and just say, hey, there's a whole lot of stuff. If you read 1 John uh, 5, it is all about loving people, staying in the light, confessing your sins, but all mixed in there is this battle for truth. People are trying to fool you. So as dads, that's where we want to be well-rounded in all of these areas. So why do we need apologetics? I remember, so I I've used to teach apologetics in, to high school students, and my uncle came to visit, and I was showing him my classroom and talking about these things that I taught, and one of them was apologetics, and he was like, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so what are we apologizing for? And I was like, oh, no, no, sorry. That's not what the word apologetics means, okay? It comes from a Greek word, which I'll, I'll mention in a second, that just means to give a defense, to give an answer, okay? Two main reasons we need apologetics. A lot of people have unanswered questions, but then a lot of people have unquestioned answers. And here's what I mean by that. There are some great questions that people ask, and we're gonna talk about our ministry here called Great Questions, that, that need to be responded to. But then a whole lot of people, and this is where I was as a kid growing up in the church, going to a Christian school, I had a whole lot of unquestioned answers. That, that the answers that I knew got me through Sunday school and Bible class, but had never really been tested in the real world about does that really stand up? And I couldn't tell you the reason behind it. I just knew like that always is the right answer in, in Sunday school. Or my youth pastor says, great job. But I just kind of knew it up here, but I didn't know why I believed it. And so both of those are we need apologetic, why we need apologetics. Some of you have heard me say this before, but uh, it's okay to doubt, first of all. Don't freak out if you have doubts. God's not scared of your doubts. I call that Thomas-phobia, fear of doubting. Get it? Dad jokes. Okay. Don't be afraid of doubts, but where do you take your doubts? Okay. Thomas was honest about his doubts. I love Thomas. You know, when Jesus in John 14 said, hey, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you, that you can be where I am, and you know the way to me. And, and Thomas goes, uh, actually, we don't know the way. What are you talking about? Thomas was just honest about what he was feeling. 
My other favorite example is John the Baptist, who's, you know, Jesus' wingman. He's like declaring, here's the Messiah, but then things go south and he's in jail. And he's sitting there going, so this is not where I saw this going. So he sends disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the Christ or is there like someone else we should wait for? And Jesus doesn't just go, John, John, John. I just so thought you were, Jesus offers evidence. He goes, well, what have you seen? Look at the miracles that back up what I'm saying. And then you know what he does? He turns to the crowd and he gives the greatest compliment about John the Baptist, who just doubted. He says, no man born of woman is greater than John. So God isn't afraid of our doubts, of our questions, okay? I want to remind you this. You can't make your children believe, okay? It's, we're praying for that. We're, we're, we're begging God to rescue them, to open their eyes, to change their heart, but... You can make it hard for them to doubt. And part of this is going to be what you teach them, how you train them, which we're going to cover today. But a big part of it is just the way you're living your life. That Are they looking at your example and just saying, like, man, dad was not perfect at all, but I know he loved Jesus. He was serious about God's word. He was serious about prayer. There's something to this more than just a hobby that we do. So you can't make your kids believe, but you can make it hard for them to doubt. The two verses that I mentioned there in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That word sound means healthy. It's where we get the word hygiano, the, the, the Greek word for, for where we get the word hygiene. Okay? A whole bunch of times in his pastoral letters to Titus and Timothy, Paul uses this word sound and nowhere else. He's like, listen, sound doctrine, sound theology. He says, there will be a time when people won't put up with that anymore. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Some versions say, wanting to have their ears tickled. They'll gather around them a whole bunch of teachers who say what they want to hear. And then look what it says. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So you got God's truth there, and then you've got all these myths. Myths are invented stories that, that we make up to explain stuff. And you can believe them all you want, but you will always be mistaken. Thank you. We're all dads. You guys are supposed to like belly laugh those things. Anyways, thank you. Thank you. First Peter 3.15, this is the passage that I mentioned. It says, but in your hearts, this is in the middle of a thought, so it's just a whole lot of things Paul is throwing out here, but it's great. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. You're sanctified. You're set apart. You're setting him apart. Is, is, this is the Lord of my life. Always being prepared to make a defense. That's the Greek word apologia, where we get the word apologetics. You're giving an answer, Okay. To anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet, and this is really important, look at this, do it with gentleness and respect. While you're giving an answer, while you're defending your faith, while you're explaining why you have hope, your attitude is a really big deal. That I don't want to come across as arrogant or belittling or prideful. I want to make sure I'm doing this with gentleness and respect. But I want you to notice something, guys. What sparks this conversation in the first place? Why does someone want to talk to you? What do they ask you about? What does the verse say? Hope. So, so why do you have hope? That means they're looking at your life. They're seeing something is different in the midst of trial or tragedy or big decisions, whatever it is. And they just go, okay, so you have hope. Tell me why you have hope. And then you're ready to give an answer. Okay? So what makes up your belief? Last thing I want to cover. I'm going to give you three C's about why it's important to know what and why we believe. What makes up your beliefs, your box right here, okay? Is first of all, content. That's what you actually believe about reality, okay? Your worldview is it's how you're seeing the world, the content of your box. What do you believe about God? Not just is there a God, but what do you believe about that God? Is he all-knowing? Is he wise? Is he loving? Is he powerful? Is he sovereign? Like all of those things are important about God. What do you believe about man, his basic nature, his basic problem? Are there angels and demons, a heaven and hell, all those things? Do we have a soul? How do you tell right from wrong? All of those are the content of your box. A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. One of my favorite apologetics teachers, Greg Kokel, said, if we're going to defend the faith, we'd better be clear on the faith we're defending. So this is going back to some basic theology. If you're a little intimidated by that, can I suggest a really simple, basic book by Wayne Grudem? It's just called Christian Beliefs. Okay? 20 basics every Christian should know. It's not too intimidating, is it? Okay? 
Now he's got a big, thick one called systematic theology, if you want to get that one too. But if you just want to start with, okay, what are some basic Christian beliefs that I should put in my box? I don't know where to begin. That's a good place to start. Uh, if any of you are like a Monty Python fan like me, in the Holy Grail, you've got these two guards that are supposed to guard the prince's, uh, the prince, and the king's trying to explain to them, you stay here, make sure he doesn't leave the room, right? You guys know this? And they're all confused about what that means to guard this one guy. And they're all, it's just back and forth. It's a little, just kind of funny moment there. But if you're told, guard the good deposit given to you, guard God's word, what the basics are, you need to know, so what am I supposed to guard? How do I do that? Okay, second one, certainty. This is the degree to which you're convinced a belief is true. This is where apologetics comes in. It's the defense or proof of Christianity. It's being able to maybe give some basic answers on why I believe in God or creation or the Bible's reliable or Jesus rose again. How do I respond to the problem of evil? Okay. Um, why is there suffering, right? Uh, why is Jesus the only way? This is just some basic beliefs. And there are so many great resources out there. I pulled this off of my shelf yesterday. When I was in college, this is my very first apologetics book I ever got by D. James Kennedy called Why I Believe. And it just goes through all these basics of the Christian faith, but why he believed them. I had to laminate it eventually years ago because it was falling apart. But this is the first time I got excited about, do, can I even answer why I believe? I had all of these unquestioned answers growing up in a Christian home, but didn't know how to go any further than that. Okay? So this is not just, again, when we say faith, I want to make sure you get this. It is putting your beliefs into action, not just that I believe. So my analogy always is this, that you think of, do you believe that planes exist? Sure. Do you believe that planes can, can you know, go against the, the law of gravity, overcome the law of gravity with all the people and luggage and gas on it? Yeah, I believe it. But then when you get on board the plane, that's when you're actually putting your beliefs into action. I'm demonstrating that I have faith by my actions, okay? And this is really crucial, you guys. As a youth pastor, for eight years, I really, really wanted to help my, my, my kids when they graduated, even while they were in high school, facing challenges of, hey, this is what you're gonna hear. Here's how people are gonna explain things. I wanted to make sure as a dad that I was explaining evolution to my kids. Like, I'm the one, I'm, I'm gonna just tell you some basics and, and help you be aware, but I wanna make sure they knew, like, we're gonna figure this out together. But if, as a dad, my teenage son comes in and he goes, hey, there's this guy at church who, I mean, at school, who said he's a Christian, but he's, he's LDS or Latter-day Saints or Mormons. Like, is there any real difference? Because he sounds like he's a Christian. And I just go, yeah, I don't know. You should uh, ask, go ask Jermaine. What did I just communicate there? That's, I'm not interested in that kind of stuff. Like, what's the big deal? Like, I don't know. If you don't know the answer, first step, don't pretend that you know, okay? Don't get prideful. Be humble and just go, hey, that's, that's great. I don't really know. Why don't we, let's look that up together. Let's, let's do a little research. How about this? I'm so glad you asked. Let me explain a little bit. And maybe it's just explaining what we believe, first of all. Okay. Then the last one is centrality. The degree of importance the belief plays in your life. This is what makes up your beliefs. The content, that's what's in your box. The certainty, how certain are you that this is true? And then the centrality. And like that airplane analogy, like I'm willing to just now entrust my life to the plane, right? I'm getting on the plane. I'm doing something with it. So those are the three C's that make up your beliefs. Okay? I love this. This is part of the verse that I, that I mentioned uh, earlier, but I love the overall view of Colossians 2, 6 through 8. This was my... My, my life verse for so many years of my, of my faith from college on. He says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. So think of both of those things. I want to have roots that go down deep, and then I want to be built up. I want to be growing in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. So first, I'm rooted in my faith. I'm being built up in my faith. And now I'm on my guard against false philosophies that are from the world, not based on Christ. Okay? So what we're trying to do is help equip our kids with their basic worldview. My, my definition of a worldview is really simple. It's your presuppositions about reality and morality. It's what you already assume is true about what is real and what's right and wrong. Everybody's wearing glasses. Here's the deal. Everybody thinks... With their worldview, a lot of people don't think about their worldview. 
Like, what, what do I assume is real in this world? Back in um, the fall, Wes talked about um, raising kids in a gender-confused world, and he talked about some, some basics of a worldview. He said, here's some basic stuff to teach your kids. God created everything. Everything God created was good. Sin marred creation. God redeemed creation through Jesus. That's including us. And then God will restore it. That's, that's a basic outline of Christianity from beginning to end. But just even giving your kids that handle on what's wrong with the world, what's going on with the world, it was beautiful. But here's the problem. We've, we've got a broken world with broken people. That basic assumption, you guys, is huge. When you're, as a parent, you need to know this, that your kids come out of the womb broken, right? You know that, right? But this is crucial. When I was in college, in my education classes, I remember in educational psychology, the basic assumption was, oh, we're all basically good. It's just, you know, your environment could mess things up or whatever. I remember one teacher saying, just if you've got problems in the classroom, ignore the behavior and it'll go away. And I was like, what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Have you ever had a child? Like, that's not how it works. But as a parent, I've got to decide, do my kids know God is the designer and the definer of reality? He designed it. He defined it. So whether I'm talking about marriage or human value or gender, I I go back to this basic assumption. God's the designer. God's the definer. Okay? So how am I helping my kids? Is there a spiritual realm? Do Do we pray for lost people? Is there an absolute truth? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? What's the purpose of existence? How do you define marriage? Here's a big one today. How do you find, define male and female? On every one of your tables, I put one of these. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you uh, figure it out because we're grown men on your own. Maybe you can do paper, rock, scissors. You can take one of these home. Somebody at your table is going to come home with this. But this is an amazing book, you guys, on how God made boys and girls. And this is not a sex book. It's all about, hey, God made boys different with chromosomes and their cells. And it is a super helpful explanation about basic gender Um, stereotypes that we have, like a girl who's more of a tomboy or a boy who likes to paint, like what's wrong with that? Why did God make, and this is a really, really helpful book, okay? Equipping you, this is to read to your kids. But you can look over that, fight over it later if you want. Um, Here's why I share that with you. How many of you, your kids watch Paw Patrol? Anyone? My kids love Paw Patrol. Anyone? Yeah, a few of you. There was a spinoff on Paw Paw Patrol with uh, Rubble, one one of the characters, that is now uh, out there. And on this show now, there is a character named River. And River is not a boy or a girl. And it's very clear that there are pronouns that River has. And it's a major character on a major kid's show now. And here's what's behind that. There is a lady named Lynn's Ammer. And um, she's got her own YouTube, YouTube channel called Queer Kid Stuff. She uses pronouns it, so it describes itself as an edutainment company that brings LGBTQ and social justice media to kids and families, okay? So she says that my little channel here has been spreading queer joy since 2016. She is on the writing staff for this spinoff of Paw Patrols, okay? And you just need to know, like, she teaches kids the basic ABCs of LGBTQ. She um, has uh, an episode where um, she reads a book titled What's an Abortion Anyway? Like she's talking to three-year-olds, okay? And her big thing is um, normalizing this other way of viewing the world that's different from God's, God's word. And this is where our kids are being targeted. And so we just need to be discerning, okay? That doesn't mean we go put our heads in the sand or, you know, we never watch TV again, but we need to be discerning as parents and know what our kids are watching. She's got a story time video um, where she reads a book, If You're a Drag Queen and You Know It. This is the little three-year-olds. But she's a part of what is going on in our culture. And so just be aware. Um, Two books that I read I'm reading one of them, but uh, this book, Irreversible Damage, is really, really powerful. But if you have a, a daughter especially, this talks about what's going on, really the craze of uh, transgender stuff. And then I just started this other one um, called Lost in Transnation. And this is a really good history lesson of how did we get where we are today? Well, we are so confused. And I just want to tell you guys, a lot of times the church is woefully behind knowing what's going on in our culture. And we're like, wait, what's going on? What's, and this really, really has, is helping me already understand how did we get to the point where we are um, right now where I've got to have these conversations with my kids that I never imagined I would have, that I don't really want to have. But as a dad, I have to go, but you know what? 
This is where we're at. I've got to be courageous in having these conversations. Here's a great reminder from Ambrose Redmoon. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. So it's going to take some courage to take a stand. We talked last week about big three courageous choices, right? Technology um, is going to be a big one. Schooling for your kids. But then sexuality, those are big courageous choices as dads. We just have to go, you know what? I might not enjoy that. That might make me intimidated, but there's something more important than how I feel right now. Okay? The hearts and minds of my kids, for example. The goal that Paul explains to the Ephesians is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human, human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Think about that. Again, deceitful means it looks good, but its purpose is to deceive me. And there's a scheme there. There's a plan, a strategy on how we're going to fool you. And Paul just says, our goal in maturity is, I don't want to be tossed back and forth by what's going on in the culture and the world. I want to be grounded in God's truth. So again, that's part of our job here at church is we are partnering with you to build Christ-centered homes, but we're not doing it for you. I shared this with, some, with you back in the fall if you were here, but how are you training your kids with God's word? Okay. Who, who, is, who are you depending on to teach your kids book, chapter, verse? If you look up something in the Bible, book, chapter, verse. Who's teaching them that? Are you assuming the church is doing this? You guys, when I was a youth pastor, I would sadly have parents come to me and say, I don't think my child believes what I believe. And I would ask them a simple question. Have you told your kids what you believe? Have you ever asked them what they believe? Well, I mean, I just assumed because we go to the same, right, okay, great. So you need to have some conversations with your kids. But this is where Ephesians 6.4 gives a command. Fathers, that's us in this room. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's not my own ideas or thoughts, or I gotta figure this out on my own. I've got this, okay? The best way to learn to read the Bible is to read the Bible. Just start reading it, Okay? Share with your kids what you're learning. But, but this is where I'm, I'm trying to guide them. I love this reminder in Psalm 112. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in what? His commandments. And then look at the effect. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Something about my fear of the Lord and love for his word affects my kids. And part of it is because God's word is powerful. It's living and active. Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So this is a challenge that I threw out before, I guess last fall. What if we thought of it this way? If I don't give them the word of God, no one will give them the word of God. Now again, bring them to church. We'll teach them while they're here, but it's just in a group setting in a short amount of time. But what if my attitude was, hey, listen, I need to be bringing God's word into my home. If I don't do it, who am I expecting to do this? Now again, prayerfully, hopefully your wife is as well. You're both unified in that, but I need to have this, this feeling of responsibility when I see Ephesians 6.4, okay? So if your boss were to say to you, Hey, we need to keep up with some major changes in our field. I need you to get up to speed on some new developments so that we can be most effective. Here's some resources for you. And you look at your boss and you push these things back across the desk and say, I'm just not much of a reader. Sorry. You would never do that. You would go, yes, sir. Great. I want to get up to speed. I want to be effective. So there are things that we need to make sure we're up to speed on. There are things that you might need to study just a little bit. Okay, there's another handout on your page there, something that I just wrote up for some students I'm teaching next week, some college students, thinking biblically about sex and gender, just about what God's word says, those kinds of things. But I want you to look at the blue box down there. This is just our attempt to say, hey, listen, how would you explain gender to boys and girls? And just a basic thing of a girl is a person born with female cells and female body parts. Later on, you can throw in words like chromosomes if you want, Reproductive organs, uterus. You can explain those things, but a boy is a person born with male cells and male body parts. Huge thing to go in and make sure your kids understand. Sex or gender are not assigned at birth. That is a lie from hell, you guys. It's a lie. 
But that's what our culture is cramming down our throats, that it's just a guess. We don't know what they're really, no, you do. And this, this hopefully helps equip you just a little bit. And you can even explain chromosomes some if you want. So here's where I want to encourage you. We have something every Monday night called Great Questions. I'm just going to tell you this. When, when Watermark first approached me, and I knew some things about Watermark, about working here, and I went and looked on the website about some things, just trying to get to know Watermark, I was so excited when I saw that we have a ministry called Great Questions. Um, Garrett, why don't you come up here? I want you guys to meet Garrett, who is over this ministry. He's the coordinator for our theology and apologetics. And he's going to explain a little bit about what it is. But let me just tell you, I help serve on this every now and then. But there are a lot of people who just show up just to listen and learn. Like if you have a question that you want to... I'll move that out of your way. Um, if you have a question you want to bring up there, you can. But I'm just telling you, just sit there and listen and learn. There's, there's three or four uh, facilitators that are, that are giving answers. There's a ton of resources and free books there. But it's just a... And it's one hour. It's just one hour. Okay, 7.30 to 8.30. Okay, let me let Garrett explain a little bit, and then we're going to do even something uh, more different than we've ever done. Garrett, take it away. Thanks, friend. Uh, well, my name is Garrett Weichel. I do get to spearhead our Great Questions ministry, which is really fun. Uh, when Chris came on our staff, one of the things that I did is I walked into his office and said, hey, I've uh, heard that you have an apologetics podcast, and you know, you, you're really well-versed in this area. Would you consider joining our team? We threw him on there, and he's been a blessing to us ever since, so thank you for yeah. serving with us. But uh, Great Questions is that ministry at Watermark where anyone can come and bring any question about theology, worldview, or otherwise, and get a biblically reasoned answer in response. And so we have about 20 volunteers who are facilitators. We have a hospitality team. And uh, we have a really special opportunity on Mondays where people are coming from our community, from inside our church, who just don't know where else to go with their question. Uh, from, from one of the things that Chris is talking about, if, if dads don't encourage their kids in these, as they grow up, they're going to find other ways to, to get these sorts of questions answered, whether it be turning to the world and its devices, whether it be turning to the most recent and prolific speaker that comes across their social media, it's, it's always gonna be some sort of content machine into their mind and heart. And so what Great Questions is, is effectively trying to be a stopgap or trying to course correct in a lot of ways and say, no, 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 the church has answers. The church has this gospel and we want to show it to you. We want to, to communicate the very deep things of God so that you would know uh, this, this beauty uh, that, is, that has been overlooked. And so one way that I uh, just have come to know the, the richness of this ministry is that uh, as I grew up, I didn't have a dad who was going to pour into me and, and really have these conversations with me in my life. Uh, so I grew up in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, my dad uh, is, uh, was, rather before he retired, a professor of geography at Oklahoma State University. Uh, my mom also worked at the university, but their parenting style was very hands-off. Uh, my dad does not claim any sort of faith uh, my mom was a nominal Christian when I was born, and I grew up under these two parents who really just tried to give me a, a, an easy uh, and joyful life to whatever extent that they knew how. And I followed after my dad. He's an intellectual, and so I always wanted to do the whole learning piece, and I would build my kingdom off to the side because my parents weren't really investing in my life, and so I just kind of found the things that I liked to do and kept doing them. Well, uh, the hard part about that is that I started to find fantasy worlds of video games, pornography, and all of these worldly things that just started to dive into my head and my heart, and I removed myself from this world that I lived in to try to go live in this other world. Um, and praise be to God that though I didn't have this father figure, this mentor figure, this, this God-ordained ministry that I was supposed to have for a father to care for his son in this way and raise him up in the ways that he should go, uh, God put other men in my life so that I would know him um, through an organization called K-Life, uh, basically Young Life with a discipleship aspect, a small group ministry type thing. Uh, I got plugged in with, with folks when I was not a Christian, and eventually over four years, a man named Walter Kern stepped into my life, and he was God's means of grace for me to know the gospel and to have a place where I got to start asking these questions. I didn't know that I should be asking questions about who and or what created this world or where we came from or what purpose we had. I was just kind of trying to plot my own course and figure it out. And so when I was 16, my friend Walter sat down with me and would ask me, hey, have you ever considered that the Bible's true? 
And I would look at them and say, of course not. Um, of course it's false. It's, it's too old of a book. It's been disproven so many times. And he says, well, let's put those to the test. And so he sat with me and he would give me plausible answers to my questions. He wouldn't answer it. He'd call himself this backwoods guy from Alabama who didn't really know anything. Uh, but he would give me plausible responses that made me rethink my presuppositions to Chris's point earlier. And it challenged me to keep coming back and keep asking him questions. And after about five or so months, I finally realized that it wasn't just the answers that this man had given me that really set my understanding of, of God in not, not, a, not a confirmed way, but in a plausible way, where I had discounted God and all the things about him, and his, as notably the gospel, uh, that Christ came to rescue me from my sins. Uh, but the love that Walter showed me throughout my life was greater than that which I had known by my own parents in a lot of ways. Uh, I watched as God poured his love into my heart by the Holy Spirit that he had given to Walter. And in light of that, I got to uh, come to know the richness and beauty of the gospel through this man who was just willing to have this dialogue with me over time. And so as I think about that and why I think it, it, it matters is that uh, these two conclusions have come to my mind every time I think about my own role as uh, now a father. My, my son turned one yesterday, which is crazy. Uh, I cannot believe that I have a one-year-old. But uh, as I think about my own upbringing, my own dad, um, I, I don't want to parent my son and Lord willing future kids in the same way that my dad parented me. Um, but the conclusion that I wanna highlight is that God works in spite of us. Uh, I, if I was a terrible dad, God still loves my son far more than I do. And he cares for him. He will put those means of grace to uh, give him the gospel call in his life when it's appropriate. And I trust that God would work in spite of me, uh, just like he worked in my life in spite of my own dad. But the second thing is, is that I wish I could have learned all of, of what I know and believe to be true from my own dad and frankly not from Walter. Because there's a, there's a relationship that I don't have with my dad because we have this massive disconnect in our belief systems. There's a lack of trust there. There's a lack of, of knowing the other person in a lot of ways. And I hope and resolve uh, to step into my kids' lives uh, in that way, to, to point them to Jesus and to point them to the truths that are in the gospel. And so uh, great questions is just one of those ways in which um, I get to be encouraged in my own apologetics in that and to grow in that and to lead a team of volunteers who are also helping others in that. And uh, as I think about just stepping into the rest of, of life with my son uh, and trying to figure out how to parent him, I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to raise him up. I don't know how to ask questions. I don't know how to have these conversations because it wasn't modeled well for me within the home. And to be honest, that, that gets me nervous. Uh, so to that end, um, I have the privilege, um, as we've talked to Chris, to moderate a panel today of uh, folks, particularly from our equipping team, uh, with Chris, with Orrin Martin, and with Annabeth Allen, formerly Annabeth Sherrod, which is really fun. So you get to see two sides of, of that coin. Uh, and I'm gonna ask a couple questions uh, that even this guy is the one who spearheads our apologetics ministry, feels nervous about stepping into parenthood. Uh, that I, I want to know for my own sake. And I'm glad you guys are in the room to hear it too, but like I wanna ask these folks how to do this because I wanna model it. I, I just need it. Uh, but we're also gonna open it up so that others can ask questions as well. Sound good? Yep. Great, so if our panelists come to the stage, that would be wonderful. Again, we have Chris Sherrod, whom you all have met and know well. Um, Annabeth is walking up right here. She is the uh, equipping and apologetics administrator here at Watermark, and so she gets to help uh, oversee great questions and equip disciple and a lot of other ministries from a administrative perspective. And then we have Oren R. Martin, Dr. Oren R. Martin, um, PhD, Systematic Theology from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Hey, can I do something real quick? <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I'm gonna sit over there. Oren's gonna be over here for a reason. Do you know we're not the same person? <laughs> Nor are we related. We're not related. So many people, since because we got hired at the same time, he'll preach and I'll see someone they're like, great sermon on Sunday, or I'll preach, and someone's like, I really love what you, and people have asked me, like, how long were you in Kentucky? And now I'm like, 18 years, but it's not me. You're thinking of Oren. So we're not the same guy, just so, so you know. We did start at the same time. Um, anyways, so Annabeth, uh, again, is my daughter, now married uh, Annabeth Allen, but it's been fun to see her uh, on her own 
after she graduated high school, I want to go to Bible college and then graduate from a university. And then I want to be involved in the ministry that goes on here. And now she's a, a coworker of mine. So it's kind of fun, but she's Oren's uh, admin as well. So hello. Hello. <laughs> Incredible. Interesting being the only girl. Yeah, I know, the only love, woman in the room. I love seeing uh, what you do with your slides every time you talk. That's right. Yeah, do you I all do. love his slides? All the pictures? <laughs> I get into the slides. The pictures only get more stock image over time. Yep. Wonderful. Yep. Um, <laughs> awesome. V- visual, visual <laughs> learners. All right, uh, we are not going to have copyright infringement. That's what we're That's not going right. to do. Um, sweet, y'all. So... Um, just like I said, um, I have my own insecurities about, about stepping into fatherhood. And even as the guy who should know the answers, I don't have them. And so I want to help, have y'all's help in trying to pursue that. And so I gave y'all these two questions, and after these, we'll kick it to uh, whatever's in the crowd. So if y'all want to be considering questions that would be helpful for y'all to ask the entire panel, please write those down. And then if we don't get to them, we'll hang out in this room afterwards, and we'll try to do our best. So uh, my first question I am worried that the busyness of life and other more fun things will make my family less inclined to talk about spiritual things. How do I start and continue spiritual conversations with my kids? And over time, how do I keep them interested and engaged in talking about these spiritual things? Warren? Um, Well, I think one of the things uh, I think of early on, I have a 15, 13, 11-year-old, and I had all these grand dreams and visions of, of how I would, you know, uh, educate and disciple my kids. And, you know, so I'd, I'd have like, hey, read this, Cindy, read this article while I'm at work today. And when I come home, we can discuss it around the kids. And, and it didn't happen uh, because she was taking care of babies uh, and had a lot on her plate. And so, you know, one of the things that we discovered early on is what, what worked best for us is just to utilize existing structures in our days and do things during those things. So for example, we just started reading the Bible at breakfast uh, together and discussing it. And we started this pattern when, when our kids were babies and established those habits early on so that now that they're 11, 13, and 15, that's what we do as a family. We, we read the Bible together and it's, it's not long. Uh, you know, when they, were ba- when they were little, you know, two, three, four, five years old, it was, you know, 15 minutes. Uh, we, we'd read a passage, uh, we'd talk about it. Uh, and, and, and that was basically it. And as they've gotten older, <clears throat> um, we, we just continue to do that. So utilize existing structures uh, while, especially your kids are little, they're doing stuff, uh, but they're listening. And uh, that, that's proven really helpful. We've, we've read through the Bible now at least, I think three times my kids have been through it. My wife does the heavy lifting a lot of times because I, you know, I go off to work, they're sleeping later as teenagers. But my kids have heard her read out loud scripture from cover to cover, uh, at least three times now, and it's like a running commentary of how all scripture points to and is fulfilled in Christ. It's amazing. And when there's weird passages they encounter, uh, I get to come home and say, hey, what'd y'all read today? Uh, what'd y'all learn? Y'all have any questions? How can we talk about it? How does this apply to your life? All kinds of stuff. So it's been really helpful for our family just to, to gather around God's word every day uh, in, in really natural ways that's not weird. So. Great. That's awesome. What else? Is there anything? Um, kind of what he was saying earlier of being on the receiving end of how to train your kids to have a Christian worldview. Um, a lot of that was very simple. It was uh, using experiences in everyday life, just common things of things we would watch, things we would listen to, or things we would see as kids. Um, and my mom was really good at this too, of pausing and then asking a question to us to help us think critically about what we just heard or what we just saw. Um, and how it relates to the gospel. And so it helped me um, then to ask questions about what, I'd, what I believed and I didn't know I believed about something. Um, kind of that box you were talking about, what was in that box. Um, and then I think the biggest thing was um, when it came to my walk with the Lord, it was never, it was encouraged that I read my Bible, obviously, but it was never something that was forced. It was always something that I just saw my parents do, um, which is the biggest um, witness and the biggest encouragement for me because I was seeing them wake up early and read God's word, and I was curious about that, and I wanted to know what that was like. But based off of their behavior, I knew that um, them being saturated in God's word and the gospel overflowed into how they parented me. Um, and so I knew that their identity informed their activity, right? So how they, be, how they behaved. And so um, 
that's the thing that drove me to want to pursue God's word. It was not something they told me. It was something that they lived out and that they did. It's hmm. good. Uh, it's interesting. So of all my kids, Anna's the only one who decided on her own, I want to go to Bible school. And she went off to a Bible school in Australia for a semester. Then she went to DBU and majored in uh, philosophy and religion, right? Um, and then went to do the institute here. And I realized, I, I, I pray that for all my kids, but for some reason I went back and looked at all of my, my prayer journals. And for Anna, I really was concerned about, I wanted to love God's word because of just how Katie and I were, were um, watching her develop. Um, she had her own little um, struggles as having three older brothers and a brother below her and stuff. She'd get what we called an attitude sometimes. Um, but I looked at you guys, I prayed specifically that Annabeth would love God's word. And I'm like, the Lord did it. So even what you pray for now already for your kids can have a powerful impact. Um, one of the things that I, it's like what Warren said, what we do as a family, and this is what Deuteronomy 6 says, is when you sit at home, and we most often do that at the dinner table. Like when we're all together for sure, it's not like I'm leaving earlier, the kids, we gotta rush to eat before school. But at the dinner table is where we'll either talk about our highs and lows or read a passage or listen to join the journey or, or, or just you know, have the, the Bible app or the guys reading. Those are the settings where we, we decided this is where we're gonna um, just use what we already have, okay? Um, sometimes, I was reminding Anna of this, uh, this is just the way my mind would work, being intentional and thinking critically. If the table was already set, um, I remember one time I, I called the kids and I was like, guys, you will never believe this. You see the table here with all the plates and cups and napkins and stuff? I had everything stacked up by the window over here, but I left the window open and a huge gust of wind came through and blew all this stuff on the table just like this. And of course they were like, dad, no. I'm like, what, you don't believe me? No, and here was my point. In a really, really simple way, you don't get order out of chaos. The wind blowing all of these plates and coming through here would not set this table perfectly, but that was in a very small way I wanted them to realize, you know what, you're right. And in this world, people are gonna tell you that things can just happen on their own and turn to amazing design and intricacy. It doesn't happen without intelligence behind it. That was just one example there um, that I was like, I'll just be goofy and, and take that moment. Something else I mentioned before about the New City Catechism, you have an app there. Uh, about three years ago, in the morning, taking my boys to school, I decided we've got this ride, and I want to make it intentional. I want to make it meaningful. That's part of the Deuteronomy 6 thing about when you walk, walk along the road. And so I would just use the uh, New City Catechism app, and they've got a song, if you put it on kids mode, that asks the question and answers the question in a really catchy way. And I've said this before. At first, I was like, this is so goofy, these songs, but they're really catchy. Like they, the, the kids remember these things. And it's basically something that it's called catechism that people used to do for centuries to help make sure our kids know basic answers of the Christian faith. Well, if you ask my kids, what is your only hope in life and death? My nine-year-old and my 11-year-old would say that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And that's something like, I, I'm not like proud that I did that. It's like I was going through this catechism thing and that's one of the questions and now they know it just because we just decided we've got drive time here and we're going to make the most of our, of our drive time. So that's awesome, things. guys. So one of, some of the things that I'm hearing is you build this into your everyday life. Uh, it doesn't have to be big dad leads a Bible study and all the kids and, and, and uh, wife listens, but you guys are consistently talking about these sorts of things as time allows. You're also looking for opportunities to step in here. And so when some sort of object or life lesson pops up, you're able to step into that and be ready and willing to have that conversation. You're praying for your kids to have this. You're thinking about their own attitude, attitude to... <laughs> To, and, and, and demeanor to be able to step into their life. Um, and then also, uh, you're, you're setting up those lessons as you can. So one thing that Chris shared with the, um, all the dishes were stacked over here and then when the wind blew them in, you guys have no need to be creative. People have already done all of these lessons before you. Steal their ideas and act like they're yours. It's great. Uh, Christians have been plagiarizing each other for 2,000 years. <laughs> like, that, that's a good thing uh, when, when done rightly and attributing it appropriately, doctor. Uh, I heard so, one say recent, someone recently said the art of originality. No, originality is the art of concealing your sources. Yeah. Like, that's how you do it. Totally. So, yeah. so with Chris's example there, like, y'all can do that. Um, you don't have to cite, you know, Chris Sherry down at the bottom when you're telling his kid this. It's just a lesson that you guys can use that I hope to use at some point as well. 
Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Chris, I think, is especially good at, just to compliment you here, friend, um, is taking these really big truths and trying to boil them down to one simple story or a couple simple lines. Uh, and and they, they're, they're convincing, they're compelling. And so I'm grateful for you in that. I'm gonna ask one more question, then I'll have uh, potentially all three of you answer. If you don't have a great answer, we can continue to move on because I wanna get to the Q&A over here. Uh, but here's, here's a question that's been sitting with me for a while. I want my kids to trust in Christ's work for their salvation, just like I do, but I don't want them to believe just because I do and simply hitch themselves to their parents' faith. So how do I challenge my kids to make their profession of faith their own while I'm being a primary teacher in their life about Christianity? What role does learning about other faiths and worldviews even have in discipling my kids, and how do I help them draw right conclusions when I firmly believe that my Christian conclusions are true. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, uh, I was going to point out that we've got some resources up here. There's a book on uh, Cold Case Christianity for Kids and Case for a Creator for Kids. Um, big Truths for Little Kids. There's a whole bunch of um, resources. Um, I've got, I don't know where I put them, but Tiny Theologians is a great website that has a whole lot of like rhyming books uh, about God's omnipotence or omniscience or omnipresence and a really easy way for a kid to get. But Tiny Theologians has some great resources that you can intentionally make as a story time with your kids. Um, But even if you think about all around us, you guys in Dallas, you've got people of other faiths. Uh, Your kids might see two Mormon missionaries or see a lady walking with a burqa or some people or hear the word Islam or um, a classmate might have, you know, be from another country. Part of all of that is a great opportunity to remind our kids of the need to share our faith, that there are people that are lost and don't know they need Jesus and to to look for opportunities and pray for the lost. But when they, when you see those things, you say, hey, do you see those guys riding their bikes? You know what they're called? You know what they believe? Or that those guys that knocked on our door, they believe in a different Jesus. They believe in a different way to heaven. Um, But why do you, why do you believe? Or what do you think? And always what I think my wife does a really good job of that I try to model is asking my kids. But this is going to be reminding them, this is going to have to be your choice. Mom and dad love Jesus. We've trusted him to rescue us and to be our savior. And we pray for you to make that choice as well. I don't want to raise my kids where they assume that they are Christians. Okay? So you've got tons of opportunities, whether it's communion, of explaining why we do communion or why you can't take communion. But then even asking our kids, so why do you think people raise their hand when we sing sometimes? What was baptism all about? Literally, you guys, almost every week here, you have an opportunity Walk your kids over and watch someone get baptized and then talk about it. Like you've got these opportunities in front of you if you just take them. But I think part of it is just praying for them. I mentioned before my wife's prayer of Jeremiah 24-7 where God says, I will give them a heart to know me. And that's my biggest prayer. Like, Lord, I will model as best I can, fumbling and stumbling, what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm praying for my kids and talking to them. But I am praying that you would open their heart. And so... Not living in fear, like what if they never trust Christ, but um, being as passionate and principled as I can as a dad um, on that. Yeah, I think for us, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, for us, it's not rocket science. Uh, we, we make clear, you know, so we want to teach our kids the storyline of scripture that proceeds from creation to the fall and unpack what those things mean to redemption promised in Genesis 3.15 to how those promises are worked out over salvation history to how those promises are fulfilled in Christ and how we're waiting for Christ to come again and make all things new. And, and so we want to we make distinctions for our kids of, you know, there's unbelievers and there's believers. And the, the, the only way that we can believe is by God's grace. Uh, It's not a work that we can manufacture. That's a work that only God, by his grace and spirit, can work in their hearts. And so, I mean, we've we've literally, like we pleaded with our kids, saying to them in tears, like, we'd love you. Uh, And if if I could believe for you, I would, as your parent. I, I I would do anything in the world for you, but I can't. Only God can do that work in you. And, and you have the responsibility, responsibility to turn from your sin and to trust in Christ. That's the invitation. You hear it from the stage, right? And I think one of the most important means of grace outside of reading scripture together and talking about it as a family is taking our kids to, to church every week. They, they've sat under the preaching and teaching of the word since they were babies, literally. 
uh, since they were two and three years old. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we came here and, and our kids come to the service every week. And the, and the Lord has been pleased to save two of our kids since we've been here uh, in, in the past year and a half. And that's such, that's such a, uh, just God's ordinary means of grace to work in their heart through his word, by his spirit, to, to generate a spiritual reality that we can't generate. And so it really just comes to, you know, we, we just proclaim the gospel to them every day of who we are as sinners, uh, what Christ has done for them and for their salvation, and the necessity of them to repent of their sin and to trust in Christ. And um, the Lord's worked. We're really thankful for that. Yeah. You want to add anything? <laughs> I was just going to say the, the burden is not on you to save your kids. Um, and that should be something that's freeing for you. And just to know that every one of your children is um, individually created. And so the Lord has a personal, unique relationship with each of your children that he knows their needs more than you do. And, um, and just know that that's, that's a good thing and that he's the one who cares more about your kid than uh, you do in, in their salvation. And, um, you know, all you can do is live faithfully and point them back to scripture. And, um, but ultimately it's the push that they want, you know, you don't want to force them to choose something. They have to, especially with this, make that decision, make their faith their own. Um, and it's more of, do you believe that God's word is sufficient in and of itself? Do you believe that, um, God's spirit, God's grace is sufficient in and of itself and not in you? Um, and then, there, there should automatically be a, a point of surrender from as a parent um, for their salvation. I will add, this child, for the longest time, would never admit that she was a sinner. <laughs> it was like step one is you got to admit you're a sinner. And I don't know if she thought, like, I'm going to get in trouble if I say that I'm a sinner and I've done bad things. But that was our biggest hurdle with this. Her, this child first was, no, we're all sinners. And she's like. I was perfect. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. that's good. Thanks, y'all.